your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Galatians chapter number 2. And, of course, uh, we are making our way through the book of Galatians on Wednesday night. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks in chapter number 1. And then, of course, uh, I was away last week. Uh, but tonight we find ourselves in chapter number 2. And if you remember from the last time that we were in the book of Galatians, the end of chapter 1, uh, Paul, we're kind of in the middle of a section in the book of Galatians where Paul is giving somewhat of his own testimony. And in chapter 1, it had to do with his uh, time as a new Christian, his salvation, and then the, the time that he spent uh, getting ready for the ministry, and we saw some, some keys to his success in the Christian life. And then in chapter 2, what we have is two stories that the Apostle Paul tells uh, regarding an interaction he had uh, with specifically the Apostle Peter. There were other uh, elders and, and apostles that uh, were there as well, but the focus is on Peter. And of course, in the first century church, Peter was the, the undisputed leader of this Christian movement. Of course, Paul is uh, also a leader in, in, in the work of God. And Paul here in Galatians uh, tells us these two stories. So what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And I'll just kind of give you this up front for those of you taking notes. And I always encourage you to take notes. Uh, we're going to look at these two events. or the, We're going to look at this passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 14. We'll deal with the end of the chapter next week. But we're going to look at it in the two different sections uh, in which the two different events. So the first event happens in Jerusalem, and that is covered in verses 1 through 10. And then the second event uh, happens in Antioch, and that is covered in verses 11 through 14. So we're going to look at both events, uh, Lord willing, tonight. You'll notice there in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. Because in chapter 1... He told us about the fact that when he got saved, he did not immediately uh, just go and concur with flesh and blood. Uh, if you remember, he told us that he went to the desert of Arabia and that it was three years before he went to Jerusalem uh, in, his first, uh, in, in, in his first few years as a, as a Christian. And then in chapter 2, he's telling us about the next time that he went to Jerusalem, and that was 14 years later. So... That's why we're being told these stories. He tells us first of when he went the first time. Now he's telling us about when he went the second time, which is why the chapter begins with him saying, then 14 years after, I went up again uh, to Jerusalem. Now, like I said, we're going to look at two different stories tonight, and there's a reason why the Apostle Paul is giving these stories. I want you to understand that everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. And, of course, it's interesting just to read the stories, just uh, the narratives themselves, but... Uh, there's a reason why he's, he's saying these things to us. And if you remember our very first sermon in the book of Galatians, I talked about the fact that there are some themes in the book of Galatians that you see these themes come up in every single chapter uh, in this book. And of course, one of the themes was that of the true gospel. And that's something that we're going to see a lot in the book of Galatians. We've already seen it in chapter 1 where Paul, one of the reasons he's writing the book of Galatians is to try to correct some false doctrine and some false teaching regarding the gospel. And there are those who are trying to uh, pervert the gospel, is what he said in chapter number one. Another 
theme of this book, and I'm bringing these up because this is what we're going to see here in chapter 2, and I want you to kind of have this in your mind so you understand why it is that Paul is saying what he's saying. Another theme is that Paul is defending his own authority and credibility because of the fact that the same people that are coming to pervert the gospel and to try to preach a different gospel are also attacking the credibility of, the, uh, of Paul as an apostle. So he's not only defending the truth of the gospel, he's defending his own authority and credibility as a spiritual leader, as an apostle. And then, of course, the third theme, which I want you to just kind of be reminded of this because we're going to see it in this chapter, is that he's, he's not only on the defense, uh, defending the gospel, defending himself, but he's also on the offense, and he is going after these Judaizers. And if you remember, we, we saw it when, in our first sermon in chapter 1, and we're going to see it a lot tonight, that there were these people who were trying to make Christianity conform to Judaism. And there were those who were teaching that you had to conform to the law of Moses in order to be saved. So these are the people that are showing up, and they're attacking the gospel, they're attacking Paul, and they're trying to bring the people under bondage back uh, to this idea of keeping the law in order to be saved. So Paul is defending the gospel, defending himself, and going after these Judaizers and uh, he's on the offense against them as well. So I want you to have that fresh in your mind uh, as we look at this chapter. And we'll look at the first story in verses 1 through 10. And if you kind of want a heading or a title, uh, you can call this first story The Acceptance of Peter and the Other Apostles. This is, of course, in Jerusalem, so you can make a note of that. The Acceptance of Peter and the Other Apostles. And maybe you can just write in parentheses, Jerusalem. And this is what we see in verses 1 through 10. Now, I want you to notice that the first thing we see is, and if, and if you're taking notes, you, you can jot this down under that first heading. Number one, we see the coming down from Jerusalem, the coming down from Jerusalem. And what we see is these false brethren. Now, I actually, what I'd like you to do just for a moment is keep your finger there in Galatians chapter 2 and go backwards to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. If you go backwards past 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, and into the book of Acts, you have Galatians going backwards, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, and then the book of Acts. I'd like you to find Acts chapter 15. Obviously, keep your finger in Galatians. That's our text for tonight. But do me a favor. Also, keep your finger in the book of Acts. Either put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We're actually going to go back and forth between these two books uh, tonight. Because here's what I want you to understand. And you might want to just jot this down in your notes as well. Galatians chapter 2, uh, specifically verses 1 and 10, is the Apostle Paul telling us about an event that's actually documented in Scripture in Acts chapter 15. Now, this isn't always the case when we're told a story in the, in the epistles. Some, uh, sometimes that story is not documented. The actual narrative of that story is not documented somewhere else. But in this case, it's interesting because, because it is. What Paul is referring to in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is a story that we find in Acts chapter 15, and it's, it's, it's very interesting because Galatians chapter 2 kind of serves as a commentary for Acts chapter 15, or vice versa, Acts 15 serves as a commentary uh, for uh, Galatians chapter 2. And, you know, when the Bible is its own commentary, that's the, that's the, that's the best you can get. Amen. Better than some reformer uh, writing a commentary that you read. Uh, it'd be good to let spiritual things be compared to spiritual things. So what we see 
is the first, the coming down from Jerusalem. It's false brethren who are coming down. Notice there, Acts 15 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And certain men which came down from Judea. And of course, Judea, we, we know that they're coming from Jerusalem. Judea is the, the broader area in which Jerusalem is found. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, notice what they're teaching, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Okay, so I want you to notice this is the context in which we're getting Galatians chapter 2. First, the first thing that happens is that we have these false brethren who are coming down from Jerusalem. They're coming down from Judea, and they are teaching. Notice it again, Acts 15, 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the matter of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, these people are preaching a false gospel. Because to tell someone that except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved is adding works to salvation. So we see that these people are coming down. And you don't have to turn there. Let me just read this to you. Uh, You just keep your place there in in Acts 15. Actually, go back to Galatians 2 if you would. And let me read to you from Jude, verse 4. Just in Acts 15, 1, when Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, uses this terminology, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. It reminds me of Jude 1.4, where Jude says, for there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying our Lord God, our only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we're dealing with, is we have these men that are coming down, these certain men, Jude would say, who crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. These are false brethren. They're not preaching the true gospel. They're teaching a false gospel. Acts 15.1 tells us this is what happened. They came down from Judea, and they were preaching, and they taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the matter of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 2. The Bible says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now in chapter, in verse 2, Paul is talking about the fact that he's going to go up to, to uh, Jerusalem uh, to deal with this issue. But notice he says in verse 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, why does he say that? Because when you read that, you might think that's kind of random to just start there. But when you understand that Galatians 2 is uh, uh, talking about the events in Acts 15 or vice versa, when you realize that Acts 15 talks about the fact that certain men which came from Judea uh, taught the brethren, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Then you understand why Paul says in verse 3, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He wasn't convinced. He didn't, they didn't convince him uh, to be circumcised. Verse 4, and that because of, notice what Paul says, false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So I want you to notice that there's this problem where these false brethren, the Bible tells us, uh, came in, Paul says, came in privately to spite our liberty. And let me just say this. 
oftentimes this terminology in Galatians and other epistles, but specifically Galatians, because Galatians talks uh, a lot about bondage and liberty, and we're going to get into a lot of that. But let me just highlight this for you right now. Most of the time when people use the terminology bondage and liberty uh, regarding Christianity, they are not using it in, in the biblical sense or the biblical interpretation of it. Because today, when you listen to, and I hope not you, I'm just saying when somebody listens to the liberal preachers talking about Christian liberty, you know what they will say is they will say that, that our church, a church like ours, is trying to bring people into bondage. And the reason they'll say that, which is a false accusation, is because we preach the Bible, and we preach the commandments of God, and we preach that, hey... Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and that God wants you to live a, a righteous life, and that God, God doesn't want you to be a fornicator. God doesn't want you to be a drunkard. God doesn't want you to be a drug addict. God wants you to live righteously and soberly before him. So they'll listen to that preaching and say, oh, that guy, he's trying to put you uh, into bondage. But they don't understand what the Bible is teaching about that because what the Bible is actually teaching regarding bondage is that when you're, try- when you're telling somebody that they have to keep part of the law in order to be saved, that's bondage. Right. So being a hard preacher or preaching the whole counsel of God is not uh, uh, something that constitutes you as trying to bring people into bondage. Actually, being a Roman Catholic and telling people you got to get baptized or go to the confessional booth or whatever, or, or being a Mormon or being any, any type of religion that tells people you've got to do certain things, those are the people that are actually trying to put you in bondage. The interesting thing is that a church like ours, yes, we preach hard against sin, but we also take a very strong stance on the fact that salvation is free. You don't have to do anything to be saved. There's no work that comes along with it. You just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon him for salvation. You don't have to uh, earn it. And once you have it, there's nothing you need to do to keep it. That is liberty. That is freedom. The fact that salvation is free. And Paul says, hey, these guys showed up and they were preaching that except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And he said that they came in privately to spy out our liberty. Now, there's more to liberty than that. And we'll get to it in, in the book of Galatians. But here, Paul begins by talking about the fact that they were spying our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So what is that to be brought into bondage? It's not that you have a pastor who preaches hard against sin. It's that you have someone that's trying to make you keep the law in order to be saved. So we have this coming down from Jerusalem of the false brethren. And then, of course, number two, we have the contending with those from Jerusalem. Notice the response from Paul and Barnabas, verse 5, Galatians chapter 2, verse 5. To whom? Because this is Paul telling us the story. He says, these people came down, and they were trying to get Titus to get circumcised. They were telling us that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So what's the response? Verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection. I want you to notice that Paul, and, and you know, I communicate for a living, so whenever I see how people communicate and whenever they do something a little different, it's always very intriguing to me. And what the Apostle Paul does is he actually kind of speaks um, in a reverse way uh, than the way that you and I would, not just because he's writing in, in, in ancient times, but I think he does it to, to make a point. And notice he says there in verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection. 
Now that phrase, subjection, means to subject yourself or to come under the authority of. So that phrase by itself, if it was just to whom we gave place by subjection, period, what that phrase would be saying is that we submitted ourselves to these people, that we submitted ourselves to their authority. But Paul, he, he says it in a reverse manner than you and I would say it. He speaks in a negative way in order to emphasize a point, and he says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. So in, in our modern vernacular, what we would say is, I didn't buy that for a minute. He said, we did not subject ourselves to them. We did not agree with them. He said, to whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So notice the theme is that Paul's defending the gospel. And he's telling the church in Galatia, and the churches of Galatia, he's telling them about this story when people came from Judea and they were preaching a false gospel. They were saying that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And he says, we contended with them. We fought with them, earnestly contending for the faith, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour. Go back to Acts 15. Keep, keep your place in Galatians 2 and Acts 15. We're going to go back and forth. Look at Acts 15 and verse number 2. Acts chapter 15 and verse 2. He says, when, theref uh, when therefore Paul and Barnabas, notice Luke does the same thing. He kind of speaks in reverse. He says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. What does that mean? When he says they had no small dissension and disputation, what he's saying is they had a big fight. They had, they had no small dissension and disputation, meaning they had a big dissension and disputation. So he says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So I want you to notice that they are contending. In Jude, we're told that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. And look, there are things, and we teach, we teach that all doctrine is important, but there are some things that are not worth fighting about. There are some issues that we get emails all the time and phone calls, and we tell people, hey, go to the best church in your area, and if they're pre-trib, that's not worth fighting about. If they're this or they're that, that's not worth fighting about. But let me tell you something. The gospel is something worth fighting about. We can look past a lot of things, and if a church is preaching the right gospel, if they've got the right uh, Bible, and, and, and they're doing soul winning, and, and, and all those things, hey, we'll, we'll look past a lot of bad things if they're uh, contending for the faith, but when people walk away from the true gospel, that's a time when we've got to contend, and we've got to fight, and that's not something we can compromise on. So Paul says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no not for an hour, Acts says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Look, we have to draw the line when it comes to the gospel. Amen. Go back to Galatians chapter 2. So we see the coming down from Jerusalem, the false brethren, and we see the contending with those from Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas. Then I want you to notice, thirdly, that we see the conference with those in Jerusalem. And this is with the apostles and elders. Notice Acts 15 and verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders 
about this question. And this here in Acts 15 is usually referred to as the Jerusalem Council, where there was this meeting with elders, pastors, apostles, evangelists. Paul was there. Barnabas was there. And they had this big meeting regarding this question. And the Bible says that they should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now remember, Galatians 2 and Acts 15 are are telling us about the same event. Galatians 2 is a commentary to what's going on in Acts 15. And I want you to understand what's happening here. Because the Apostle Paul goes up to Jerusalem, and in Acts, we're told by Luke that he goes there in order uh, to see the apostles and elders about this question. And that is true. They went to Jerusalem to discuss this question and to uh, try to uh, resolve this among the leaders of Christianity there in the first century. But I want to show you something, and I, I just want you to understand this, that though Paul was going up there because the whole purpose of this council was to talk about this question, this was not a question in the Apostle Paul's mind. This was not something that he's like, okay, let's go up there. Maybe you guys are right. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's go up there and ask them. He is going to go up there, and he is going to ask them, but he's not asking them because there's a question in his mind about this. He's not asking them because he's confused about this. In fact, and I'm going to show you that in Galatians, but let me just show you here in Acts 15. In verse 2, we're told, at the, uh, uh, the last part of verse 2, that they should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. But then notice verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church. So as they were going up to Jerusalem, they passed through Phanis and Samaria. Notice, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now, why are they going to Jerusalem? They're going to Jerusalem to ask the question, do Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? But the fact that on his way, on his way to this Jerusalem council to ask this question, he is passing through Phenis and Samaria, and he's visiting these locations. And while he's there, he's declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. He's declaring to them, hey, we've had these Gentiles saved, and they cause great joy unto all brethren. That shows you that this was not a question in Paul's mind. He's going up there to ask a question, but as he's going up there to ask the question, he's telling everybody the answer to the question. He's telling them about these Gentiles that have been saved and they don't have to be circumcised. So there's not a question in his mind. Go back to Galatians chapter 2. And I want to explain this because I think sometimes this could be a little bit of a confusing passage if you don't understand the context and you don't understand the mindset of the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2 verse 6. But of these, when he gets to Jerusalem, right? Because in verses 4... And five, excuse me, verses three and four and five, he tells us about the fight they had. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, verse three, and that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privately to spite our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, verse four, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, verse five. He's telling us about the fight. But in verse 2, he tells us about the fact that he went to Jerusalem. 
Verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest that by any means I should run or had run in vain. So I want you to notice that he goes up there. And what happens when he gets there? Now, here, and here's, because look, when you look at this passage, I, I've, I've had people ask me a lot of questions about this, this chapter uh, through the years, because like I said, I, I, can, I, I think it can be a little confusing to people. So let's just read it, and then I want you to understand what's going on here. Galatians 2, 6. But of these, this is Paul speaking. He's in Jerusalem. But of these, who seem to be somewhat, whatever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepted no man's person. Now, what is he talking about? Or let me say it this way. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about Peter and John and James. And he says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, because he's saying these guys were big shots, right? Peter and John and James, he says they were big shots and they were big shots. He says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepted no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat, he says, uh, uh, somewhat uh, uh, conferred, good night, I think my, I think I might have, copied and pasted the wrong thing here. Let me just read it to you from the actual Bible, not my notes. Verse 6, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. He says, For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Okay, so what is he saying? He says, I went up there and I talked to the big shots. He said, But I wasn't impressed because... He says, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. But then he says, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. What is he saying? He's saying, I went up there, but I, I didn't leave with anything new. There was nothing they added to me. It's not like I went up there and they're like, okay, you know, you're, you're like halfway there, but you got you, you to gotta add this to it. He says, they added nothing to me. In, in verse uh, number six, look at verse seven. He says, but contrawise, that means on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, notice what he says, who seem to be pillars, these are big shots, right? Perceive that uh, the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, what does that mean that they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship? And usually when we think of that term, the right hand of fellowship, we think of something that we do a lot in Baptist churches, right? We shake hands. The right hand of fellowship where you shake someone's hand. And, and the idea is, and, and here's what I want you to say, because remember the themes of the book of Galatians are what? The gospel, he's, he's defending the truth of the gospel, he's defending his own credibility, and he's going against the Judaizers and going after the Judaizers. And this is why Paul's bringing up the story, and what Paul's doing is he's kind of, he, he's, he's walking this very fine line. Because what he told us in chapter 1 
was that he was an apostle not made by man. That, that, that he didn't get his message from the apostles. That he didn't get his message from, uh, from Peter and from those guys. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And then he went to Damascus. And Ananias went and preached the gospel to him. He got saved. And then he went to Arabia for three years and spent some time out in the wilderness and, and, and got alone with God. And that's where he got his revelations. That was where he got his doctrine. He didn't get it from the apostles. He's making that clear. He says, I didn't even go to Jerusalem, chapter 1, till after I'd been saved for three years. And the next time I I went to Jerusalem was 14 years later so it's not like he's palling around with these guys all of the time and, and he's, he's trying to make this point I have credibility as an apostle because Jesus made me an apostle but then he's also trying to prove this point that when he did finally go up to Jerusalem after 14 years they agreed with him they didn't add anything to him, and in fact, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And he's, he's, he's walking this fine line where he's trying to explain, look, I didn't get my gospel from the apostles, but when we went up to Jerusalem and we compared notes, they agreed. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. They said, yeah, you're preaching the gospel. That's the true gospel. Now, why is he saying this? Because remember, these Judaizers are coming down to the region of Galatia, to the churches of Galatia, and they're getting up and saying, Paul is wrong. Paul is not a true apostle. And they're saying, we're coming from Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is like the headquarters. Jerusalem is like the big, the, the, where it all started. So they're using the fact that they're coming from Jerusalem as their credibility and saying, Paul, he's preaching a false gospel. He's not telling you everything. And they're telling people that they have to be circumcised. So Paul is telling the story uh, in a very strategic way to say, number one, I have credibility. They didn't add anything to me. He says, God doesn't respect the persons of man. He says, they, they, who they are and what they are and their positions mean nothing to me, Paul says. But when I did go up there and, and, and we compare notes, it was the same gospel. So he's... he's telling the story for a very specific reason. He says there, look at it again in verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Verse 10, Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So here's what Paul said. The only thing they said to me is, Hey, make sure you remember the poor. Make sure you're generous and charitable to the poor. And Paul says, the same which I also was forward to do. He says, I was already doing that. I already had the inclination or the tendency to want to do that. So he says, they didn't add anything to me. He, he says, we agreed and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. Now, I want you to go back to verses 1 and 2. Because... In verses 6 through, nine, through 10, we see Paul's acceptance, right? He's accepted by the Jerusalem church. And this is why, again, why he's saying it. These Judeans are coming from Judea, and they're saying, we're from the big church. We're from the main church. We're from the headquarter church, and we're here to tell you Paul's wrong about the gospel, and we're not even sure that he's an apostle. So Paul's saying, I went to Jerusalem, and we compared notes, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. He says, now, I don't need them. Because I don't need anyone. I've got the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. Amen. 
But if, but if you want to know whether they agree with me or not, I went up there and they did not add anything to me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. Let me point this out just real quickly, actually, before you look at verses 1 and 2. In verse 9, the last part of verse 9, it says that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. I want you to understand, and, and I've taught on this in the past, so I won't spend a lot of time on this, but let me just say this. When it comes to studying the Bible, and I preached entire sermons and taught lessons on principles for studying the Bible and all that, but there's one principle for Bible study that you need to keep in mind. And it is that statements trump narratives. Statements trump stories. So whenever you're in a narrative, because those are the books that people like to read, right? The stories, First and Second Samuel, the Gospels, you know, the, the things like the epistles or the prophets, those are a little denser and more difficult. But here's what you need to understand. Just because somebody says something or does something doesn't make it right. Now, you say, well, is the Bible lying to us? When it comes to a narrative, it's not lying to you if it's telling you this is what happened. Because that is what happened. So is it true that they said these things one to another? They had this conversation? Yes, it is true. But what they said, is that necessarily true? Well, we've always, when we're looking at narratives or stories, we've got to ask ourselves the question, does this uh, jive with the rest of Scripture what is a specific statement or command in the Bible? Because, and, and I, we've used the example in the past, but you can look at stories where somebody it has multiple wives. This is what the Mormons did. Look at stories in the Bible where somebody has multiple wives and say, well then, we can have multiple wives. But wait a minute. The Bible says that a man shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain, two, shall be one flesh. It doesn't say, and Joseph Smith and his 47 wives shall be one flesh. So here's what you understand. The Bible says they twain shall be one flesh. What did God say? God said one man and one woman. What do we see in the Bible? We see men that had multiple wives. But just because they did it doesn't make it right. So you need to understand, because this is where people get a lot of false, pro, uh, false doctrines. And here's a place where people get some false doctrines. Because remember, Galatians 2 is a, a commentary on a story. Paul is telling us that when he went up to Jerusalem, look at verse 7 again, Galatians 2, 7. But contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. Is that true? Yes, it is. The gospel of the, circum of the uncircumcision was committed unto Paul. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. But now he says, when they saw. So Paul's not saying that this is what he saw. He's telling us when they saw what they said, what they thought was when the gospel of circumcision was committed unto me, which is true, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Now, is that true? That's not true. Show me a verse in the Bible where the Bible says that Peter was supposed to go preach the gospel to the Jews. In fact, I can show you a story in the Bible, Acts chapter 10, where Peter is told specifically to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen. He's told to go to Cornelius, an Italian. Notice verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, notice how Paul, he's not speaking very highly in a sort of high 
honorable way. Now, these were great men of God. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking here. And the Holy Spirit says, When James, Stephen, and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, that's true, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, good for them, that we should go unto the heathen, praise the Lord, and they unto the circumcision. Is that what Jesus commanded? Did Jesus get up right before his ascension and say, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the Jews. Is that what he told the eleven to do? He did not say that. He told them all to leave Jerusalem. But just because, but, but is that what they did? No, that's not what they did. Does that make them bad people? No. Does that mean that Peter wasn't a great man of God? Peter was a great man of God. James was a great man of God. These were all great men of God. But you need to understand something. Just because they did something doesn't make it right. Acts 1.8, he tells them, go out of Jerusalem unto the uttermost part of the earth. He even tells them, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. Then in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, because they would not leave, he sends persecution through Saul to try to get them to leave. And most of them did leave, but not the 11. They stayed. And here's the point that I'm trying to get you to understand, that just because they did something doesn't make it right. Because Peter, go, we're going to look at Acts 10 here in a little bit, in case you're just like, I don't know about this. I wasn't taught this. And, you know, the radio preacher. Acts chapter 10 God is trying to get Peter to go to the Gentiles. Wouldn't it make sense? Have you ever thought about the book of Acts? How the first few chapters are all about Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, the apostles. And then there's this shift right around chapter 10. Where, where God, has, where Peter has this vision. The, the food comes down and God is telling Peter, hey, go to the Gentiles. Don't call anything unclean. Go to Corinth. And Peter goes and gets the Italian saved. But then he goes back to Jerusalem. So what happens in the book of Acts? God finds Paul. He says, how about you go to the Gentiles? And Paul goes to the Gentiles and guess who becomes the star of the entire rest of the book of Acts? It's all about the apostle Paul. Why? Because he was doing what God wanted him to do. Now, should somebody have stayed in Jerusalem? Of course. But this idea that Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles and then all the other apostles were the apostles of Jews is not true. And people will point to this passage and say, well, here's what it says. But keep in mind, this is telling you what happened. Just because it happened doesn't mean it's right. Because when we compare what they're saying, we're the apostles to the Jews, and we compare that to what Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, these things aren't jiving. So who's right? I'm just going to go with Jesus. How about that? So make sure that when you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Bible purposefully, passionately, paying attention, asking, you know, asking yourself, is this correct? Not, not is this correct like the Bible. I'm talking about when you're reading a narrative, before you go and marry your third wife, you say, well, David had seven wives. Okay, he had seven wives. But is that what the Bible says? Is that what we're supposed to do? Because people literally will use this, these verses and, and say, I'm going to be a missionary to Jerusalem. That is stupid. 
You know, we, we, don't, we believe in common sense missions where we go where people are receptive. And, and, and using verses from Galatians 2 and saying, well, they were apostles to the circumcision. Yeah, but they were wrong. And that's why most of those apostles, we never even hear about them in the book of Acts. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. That's why it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Apostle Paul show after, after Paul shows up because he's the only one that actually did what he was told to do. Now, I just got done bashing on the apostles for a little bit, okay? Peter and James and, 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 and John. But look, I want you to notice his approach because we see in verses 6 through 10, Paul's acceptance. But in verses 1 and 2, let's go back to verses 1 and 2, we see Paul's approach. I want you to notice it. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Verse 2. And I went up by revelation. Here we're told why he went up. He didn't go up there because he had a question that he didn't know the answer to. That's why they held the council to discuss this question. But that's not why Paul went up there. Paul went up by revelation. What does that mean? That means Jesus told him to go. Jesus said, hey, go, go ahead. I, I want you to go to this meeting. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, and we saw that. Remember we saw that in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, where he went to the different cities and he was telling them about the Gentiles? So he's openly talking to everyone about his position that the Gentiles can be saved and they don't have to follow the law of Moses. Notice this, look at verse 2 though. But privately to them which were of reputation. Now it's interesting because you see this balance. Paul's saying, look, it maketh no matter to me, God accepted, you know, he said, but of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they are, it maketh no matter, God accepted no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in, uh, in conference added nothing to me. And, and here's what I want you to understand. Paul is, he's striking this balance, and it's a correct balance. And I, and I feel like people often, they, they don't have the mental capacity to understand that the Christian life is a balanced life. And they want to go on these two extremes. One extreme is all you know, just anti-leadership. All pastors are bad. We don't have to respect them. They're nothing, right? So they love the verses like, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. But then there's this other balance where people just like put men on pedestals and act like they can't sin. Here's what's interesting about this chapter is that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in Scripture a kind of embarrassing uh, a story, not this one, but the next one, about some of the big shots in the early church. But yet, he still had respect, because notice verse 2, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, he says, but, 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 privately to them which were of reputation. Why did he do it privately? Lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Say, so what does that mean? Oh, that means that he didn't know if he was right or wrong, so he went to them privately and made sure in case he ran in vain. Well, well wait a minute. 
The Bible is very clear that he knew what he believed. He wasn't going up there to answer a question. He was going up there by revelation. So what does that mean but privately to them which were of reputation? Here's what he's talking about. He says, when I got to Jerusalem, I met with the apostles privately. He said, though I understand that their positions, if they go against the Bible, I don't care about their position. He said, if I would have went up there and they would have said, no, you know, you got to be circumcised to be, to be saved, then Paul would have said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to go with the Bible. It maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. But when he got up there, he had enough respect to deal with them, to talk to them privately, just in case they were wrong, to not embarrass them publicly and to maybe be able to strain them out just in case they were wrong. He didn't know. Because these people are coming from Jerusalem and saying, well, here's what they're teaching in Jerusalem. So Paul goes up there and he's like, is this what Peter's preaching now? Is this what James is preaching now? Is this what the church in Jerusalem is teaching? So the Bible says that when he got there, he spoke to them privately. He says privately to them which were of reputation. He took the big shots aside and said, hey, let me talk to you privately. Are you guys preaching this stuff? And then the Bible says that they were like, no, we preach the same gospel you're preaching. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. Do you understand the story? Amen. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Paul had this balance where he said, look, if a big shot is preaching wrong, I'm not just going to follow the big shot because of his position. But Paul also had this balance that said, but I'm going to respect his position. I'm not just going to show up to Jerusalem and start calling him out in front of everybody. I'm going to meet with them privately and talk to them privately and not just put them on blast publicly. Do you understand that? Amen. You know what the Bible says? Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Amen. So Paul, he's striking this balance where he says, look, if they're wrong, I don't care what their position is, but because they have a position, I'm not going to blast them publicly. I'm going to go to them privately but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He's just saying, just in case I get there and I realize that this whole trip was a waste. You know, just in case I get up there and Peter was wrong. I just wanted to deal with it privately. Okay, do you understand that? That's the first story. Let's look at the second story. Now, the reason, for the, the, the reason I'm making a big deal about that is because the second story has a striking difference. Notice the second story, verse 11. The first story deals with the acceptance of Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem. The second story deals with the confronting of Peter and other brethren in Antioch. Look at Galatians 2 and verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, so now we have another story. The first story was when Paul went to Jerusalem. The second story is, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Okay, he's, he's putting Peter on blast here. Why? What happened? Well, notice there's a dissimulation of the apostles. Verse 12, we see the power of peer pressure. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to have time tonight to go through all the passages that I wanted to go to, but let me just explain this to you quickly. You can study this out on your own. James is the brother, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not... James of the 12, Peter, James, and John. Remember, James was killed in the book of Acts. 
So James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the guy that wrote the book of James. And he's also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And again, I don't have time to go through all that. Peter is an apostle in Jerusalem. Because remember, the church of Jerusalem has like 5,000 people in it. So they've got James, who's their pastor. He's the guy running it. But then they also have the 11 apostles that are there as spiritual leadership and, and all those things. Paul is in Antioch with Barnabas. And the Bible says that Peter was come to Antioch, verse 12, but before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. So when Peter got to Antioch, he was eating with the Gentiles. You know, I don't know what, maybe they're having like a church potluck. And, and he's eating with the Gentiles. But when they were come, when who was come? Certain came from James. So a group comes from the church in Jerusalem. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And when some guys came from, from Jerusalem, look at verse 12, he, Peter, withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. So the church in Jerusalem has a major problem where it's just this really hyper-Jewish church. It's kind of like the old IFB. <laughs> it's just like, just like super Zionist, just all about the Jews, right? So this group comes from James, from Jerusalem, and Peter's there, and he's just eating with the Gentiles. But when they get there, he, it's like when you were in school and, you know, they just, they, he, he just gets up and he just goes to eat on the, on the other side of the cafeteria. He just gets away from the Gentiles. That's what's going on. Look at verse 13. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Say, so why is that? That's the power of influence. Because Peter, you know, whether you like it or not, on good days and bad days, he was a leader. He was Peter. So when he gets up and moves his tray and goes over on the other side of the cafeteria... So does everyone else. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that, notice, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And the word dissimulation means hypocrisy. And look, Barnabas was Paul's missionary partner. He's the one that got these Gentiles saved. And, and even Barnabas himself was carried away with their dissimulation. So I want you to notice, here we see a different approach. Look at verse 11. In, in Jerusalem, he went to, him, to them privately. In verse 11, the Bible says, well, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to blame. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. That's public. I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And, and what, what Paul's doing is he's just kind of calling Peter out. Because he says, Peter, Paul, it, it, you know, and how this happened, I don't know. But they're all having, you know, just envision everyone's just having a meal together in a room. Peter's there. Peter's a big shot, Right? So he's there, and they're asking him to sign their Bible or their scroll or whatever, and, and they're wanting to talk to him, and they're wanting to whatever. They're asking him questions. They're asking, and, you know, Paul's probably embarrassed, like, oh, they're asking him all these weird... It's just like you act, you know, a Red Hot Preaching Conference. 
you walk up to Pastor Anderson, ask him some weird question. I'm just like, good night, what in the world? So this is what's happening, right? They're having this meal. But then this delegation comes from J- James, and when they come, Peter all of a sudden is just like, goes, and then all the Jews. And Paul sees, and even Barnabas. And Paul sees this, verse 14, but when I, say, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the matter of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Peter, Paul walks up to Peter and just, he's, he's just I, I just have a question for you, Peter. If you being a Jew, you live like the Gentiles. I mean, Peter wasn't eating kosher. <laughs> Paul's like, Peter, I saw you eating a hot dog. You and I had a bacon cheeseburger. Remember the bacon cheeseburger? He, he's saying, if, if, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the matter of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So he's calling him out. Now, let me just say a couple of things. You say, well, is there, what, there's, a, there's a, uh, a contradiction here. Because in the first story, he goes to him privately. In the second story, he goes to him publicly. Look, it's not a contradiction. These stories are being put in the Bible for a reason because God's trying to highlight something for us. Amen. First of all, let me just say this. The Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. So this does not apply to you. Do you understand that? Amen. There are some things that do not apply to us based off our positions. So let me just be real clear. There is never, there is never, there is never a situation where it is appropriate for a church member to just go walk into a church and just blast the pastor and start rebuking him. The Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. You say, well, I, you're a respecter of persons. You know what? Read the Bible. Because there is a hierarchy of positions that give you the right to do certain things. I brought this up before, but let me bring it up again. When... When Jesus was struck by the high, when the high priest commanded the soldiers to, to hit him, Jesus rebuked the high priest. When the exact same thing, and they said to him, is that how you're going to talk to the high priest? And, and Jesus pretty much puts him in his place and says, I'm God. But when Peter, when the, the exact same thing happens to Paul, and the high priest commands Paul to be beaten, Paul mouths off to the high priest, and they say to him, is that how you're going to speak to the high priest? And he says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was the high priest. Now, why do you have two different, why do you have two different outcomes or two different responses there? Here's why. Because that high priest, though he was wrong, at that time he was over the authority of Paul. So Paul, he mouthed off to him. They said, are you going to talk to the high priest like that? And he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was the high priest. That was the right response. When Jesus mouths off to the high priest, they said, you're going to talk to the high priest like that? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to talk to the high priest like that because Jesus is God. When you look at a hierarchy and you've got the high priest, Paul was under the authority of the high priest. Jesus was over the authority of the high priest. So let me let you in on a little secret. Your boss can mouth off to you. Don't mouth off to your boss. That's just the reality. So here, the reason that Paul can do this Number one is because he's an apostle. Remember, the book of Galatians is about his authority as an apostle. 
So he's telling this story for a reason. He's saying, number one, they accepted me. Number two, I rebuked him. And what he's proving is that he has authority as an apostle. And by the way, Peter was a mature Christian who took this correction well, because later on, Peter writes a book, two letters called First and Second Peter, and he speaks highly of Paul. So it just shows you that Peter was obviously a godly man, and he took the correction well. But what I'm saying is, Paul wasn't like this guy that just got saved off of YouTube videos for two years and walks up and just starts rebuking Peter. He's doing this because he's an apostle. Now, why does he do it publicly? Well, keep in mind, he already, they already dealt with this issue privately. So now, because of the fact that Peter did this publicly, because when Peter did this, it caused all the Jews to follow him. Because Peter did it publicly, Paul had to deal with it publicly. And let me explain something to you. Private sins are dealt with privately. Public sins oftentimes have to be dealt with publicly. I, you know, people sometimes, they, they leave our church, and I tell people, hey, God bless you. You know, I wish you well. And I tell people, like, hey, I, I, I will not speak of you publicly. I will not talk, say anything negatively about you. I'll, but sometimes when I have the suspicion that they're bad people, I say, but if you begin to attack us publicly, then I will defend myself publicly. Say, I don't think you do that. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a whole book about defending himself and his credibility. And, you know, people often just throw it in my face like, every time someone leaves, you know, you, you attack them. And I'm like, name one. And it's like two people. Well, let me let you know a little secret. People leave our church all the time. And you never hear their name. You ne- I never, there's never any sort of sermon. I mean, just today, just today. I sent an email off to somebody that left our church going to another church and their pastor reached out to me and I said, praise the Lord. I'm glad they're in church. God bless them. I have nothing bad to say about them. You know, did they leave our church for good reasons? Not necessarily, but you know what? I don't hold that against them. It's great. I'm glad they're in church. But let me tell you something. If you start attacking a man of God publicly, then things, the Bible says, that these things have to be brought, rebuked before all that others also may fear. That's public. So private sins are dealt with private. And look, if, you, if you're backslidden and you want to leave, leave. I mean, I don't want you to leave. I'm just saying, if you're going to leave, leave. Just leave quietly and go, and we'll never talk to you or whatever. We won't say anything about you. But you start making YouTube videos, and it's like, all right, you want to fight? We can fight. Now, let me just say this as, as I end this, because this is kind of a, a complicated chapter, so I just want you to understand what's happening here. Because I don't want you, people walk away from this and they're like, you can rebuke any pastor. Look, Paul's rebuking Peter of the faith. Well, wait a minute. Paul met with Peter privately first. And the only reason he dealt with this publicly is because it was done publicly and because he had the authority to do so. So don't get it in your mind that you can go walk up to some pastor and start rebuking him and tell him, no, you cannot. And even if you are a pastor, you should be like Paul was and say, if you've got an issue with a pastor, try to deal with it privately. But sometimes things have to be dealt publicly, and when they're dealt with publicly, they have to be dealt with publicly. And sometimes we in the new IFB get attacked. You guys deal with stuff publicly. That's not very Christian-like. Oh, really? Like Galatians 2? Where he says that he said to Peter that... He was to blame. 
and he rebuked them in front of everybody. That's, that's in the Bible. So don't get this idea that, oh, drama is just the new IFB. The whole New Testament is drama. It's all drama. You know, if you're going to stand for the things of God, there's going to be drama. There's going to be fights. And, and look, the reason it's good to explain this is because whenever there's a fight, there's always, there's always the bleeding hearts. These bleeding heart, you know, these weak people with no backbone that don't ever want to stand with their pastor or their spiritual leader. There's always these bleeding hearts that are like, oh, I can't believe that you guys are attacking. So, hey, that person's wicked. They're trying to destroy a church, you know, whatever. If they're being dealt with publicly, it's because they're a Judas. It's because they're a bad person. And some fights need to happen publicly. It's just the way it is. Now, let me just say, let me just say a couple of things as I kind of end, because this isn't going well, so I might as well just finish it. It's interesting about leadership, because here you have Peter just being called out by Paul. But let me just, and I, and I, I, could, I could take the time to give you all the verses. I'm not going to do that because I'm out of time. But let me just say this. All of these guys failed. Okay, here we have a story where Paul did not allow Titus to be circumcised. But you know what? In Acts 16, if you just want to jot this down for your notes, in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3, Paul gives in to the Jews and has Timothy circumcised. And in Acts 21, verses 17 through uh, 24, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and James, who's the pastor of the church, and who is the man who wrote the book of James, he t- gives Paul this idea. Because remember, remember what we talked about. Just because they did it doesn't make it right. James, I mean, read Acts 21. And you know what you find? A story where James, a pastor, is telling Paul, hey, Paul, all these Jews don't like you. Why don't you pretend like you took this Jewish vow? And that's just, there's these other guys that took a vow. Let's shave your head and act like you took it too. That way these Jews will like you. Literally a pastor of a church is telling a missionary to lie. And before you get down on James, Paul does it. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, he goes into the temple and they still beat him up and they still arrest him. You say, why does God tell us these crazy stories? Because they happened. And because, look, Leaders are human beings. They're going to make mistakes. Was Peter a great man of God? Look, Peter, I'll just say it. Peter was a greater Christian than anybody in this room. But he gave into peer pressure and took his lunch and ate it with the cool kids. Paul was a greater Christian than anybody in this room. But he had Timothy circumcised. And he shaved his head and pretended like he took a vow that he hadn't taken. We're going to learn about that in the book of Numbers. And he acted like he was, you know, a sympathizer to the Jewish cause when he wasn't. James was a great man. I mean, the book of James in the New Testament might be my favorite book in the entire New Testament. I mean, it's a super practical, super wise book. But James... Is telling Paul to lie, is has all these Judaizers in his church, and and what's the point? Look, the point is this: the Bible tells us the truth about people, and that actually lends to the credibility of the Bible. 
that God doesn't just like hide all their mistakes. He shows us their mistakes because look, these were all great men. Peter, Paul, James, great men. Greater men than anyone here. Greater men than anyone alive. But they made some real bad mistakes. So well, what can you learn from that? Here's, here's what you can learn from it. Love your leader. Respect your leader. But don't put any leader on an unhealthy pedestal where you would follow them into sin because even leaders make mistakes. That's the moral of the story. Let's bow our heads and our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these stories. I realize that sometimes these narratives, they can be a little complicated because we're, we're reading things and seeing things and we're just not really sure. Why is Paul saying he's not going to circumcise Titus, but he's circumcised Timothy? Why is Paul rebuking someone privately and then rebuking him publicly? We just have to realize that these are stories. This is, this is what happened. Some people did the right thing. Some people did the wrong thing. But we should always go with what the Bible clearly tells us to do. We love you. In the match, the same of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have...